More and more electric cars are on our roads every day. The light EV fleet has increased nine and a half times in the last five years, so you know, ten times the size it was five years ago. This according to a report from the non-profit organisation Drive Electric. But EVs still make up just 2% of the New Zealand vehicle fleet. So is it just cost? Availability? What is holding that growth back? And how does New Zealand's uptake compare with other countries? What is the other electrification of transport that is underway? Kirsten Corson is Drive Electric Deputy Chair. Kia ora, Kirsten. Thanks for being with us in the Auckland studio. Kia ora, Catherine. Wonderful to have me. Thank you so much. Great. Could you just explain, remind people who Drive Electric is, who some of your members are, just the diversity of members? We're an industry group um, that represents all forms of mobility. We've got a lot of um, light fleet members, all the car companies, and um, and then through to ferry and micromobility as well. Some of the power companies involved, I think? Oh, absolutely, yep. Some We've investors got, involved? Yeah, yep, definitely. Those who we would broadly say are interested in the growth of the sector. Okay, EVs at 2% of the overall vehicle fleet. Um, how does that compare with similar countries? Oh, we're definitely just getting started. If you look at, obviously, the best performer globally is uh, Norway, sitting at 88%. They're, they're, they're spectacular. Um, they're definitely the poster child of EVs, but they started working on this in uh, 1990 and have heavily subsidised uptake. When did the growth spurt happen? How far through that now, what is it, three-decade journey, was there uh, an exponential growth? Uh, Well, it was really driven by the policies they put in place. So they have um, free public parking if you're electric. They have EVs driving in the T3 lanes. They have heavily subsidised EV uptake from... Um, the 1990s um, through 2000s, and they also um, have taxed um, ICE vehicles. So ICE vehicles are your petrol and your diesel vehicles as well. So, you know, that's um, we're really just getting started on some of those policies. And has, they, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Has the so-called Ute tax had much impact? I remember some controversy around lots of $90,000 Teslas, and in fact that it might have been proving a bit too popular for what it was funded for. But when you look at their uh, subsidy and um, levy system, how did the Ute, so-called Ute tax compare? That's a great. Uh, great question and quite a controversial one in New Zealand. And, you know, we call it the clean car discount, um, which was altered, uh, reset uh, last year. So um, when they reset it last year, there had been approximately 20 million, uh, sorry, 200 million um, invested and, and about nine, um, 90 million of that went to hybrids. Hybrids have been taken out of it and right. it's been reduced. The, the hybrid yeah. fleet, sorry to interrupt you, the yeah. hybrid fleet is miles above the pure EV fleet, right? Correct. So, so the hybrids gobbled up a fair bit and then just pick up what happened when they went? Uh, we've we've seen a seventy percent increase in EV sales in the last twelve months, so it has been exceptionally popular. And for several reasons, Drive Electric um, believe it needs to stay, and we're certainly working with all political parties to to get those points across. I guess the elephant in the room is a ninety k Tesla or whatever is one thing, but if you want to go from two percent to a large percent of all the light vehicles on the road, or all the vehicles on the road, but let's stay with light vehicles. The biggest single barrier is price. And I know price is coming down, 
But when you can go and buy a second-hand car for seven fifty or $1,000 on Trade Me in the current economic circumstances, what's the least you're going to have to pay for a, for a second-hand EV? Look, still the capital cost is, is um, a lot higher. So you're looking at around you know 8K for a 2011 uh, Nissan Leaf. But the, I guess the real saving um, that we believe will come with the clean car discount, if you think about the stats, you know, eight to nine billion dollars uh, is spent on the petrochemical industry, Kiwis filling up their tanks with petrol and diesel, and a big chunk of that goes offshore. We also have got over 10.5 billion spent on social costs, and that's directly related to the over 2,200 people that die each year that die each year um but i guess you know you've just had ian hunter um you know talking about education and teaching and we've got the paris agreement targets and in 2030 treasury are estimating that we could be spending you know 20 billion dollars yeah, sure yeah and, well that's that's our liability if we haven't cut yeah, our emissions yeah. but that's the sort of macro government policy commitment if you're sitting looking at replacing your car right now, I guess this is what I'm getting to. This is the yeah. micro personal household decision. 8000 for a second-hand car. Actually, now we're talking. The last time I really focused on this, it was more like 30 right? Yes. So, so we are starting to see that second-hand market get into the realm of some potential buyers. Um but how big is the second-hand market in that kind of a price range? And, and is it getting bigger? Uh, it is getting bigger, but, you know, that's why we do need the clean car discount to create that second-hand market, and, and that will pay a big part as EV um, uptake increases because there is going to be more demand both for new and for second-hand vehicles as EVs increase What's globally. the price of a battery now? I'm just thinking about that 2011 Nissan Leaf. If you purchased it, it's got, what, a 12-year-old battery, um, and that's another issue that people have to get over. Yes. <laughs> you know, cars devalue. They devalue by a third combustion engine cars, uh, a third in the first three years, I think. So... But if you if you are looking at buying at that age and that price, just inform people on what might be the issue with the battery, and if you've got to replace it, how much? Yeah, batteries are a great question, and and, and one of those ones people always like to to pull up. So with a new car, you're looking at a eight to ten year warranty on the battery, and roughly another ten years beyond that. So you so, should get twenty years out of it. Yeah, you, you okay. should. You should. And so now we are seeing, and there's several companies in New Zealand that will replace your Nissan Leaf battery, and that can be, you know, around 8k, you know, off the top of my head. Um, and then that battery goes on to have a second life in home storage. We're seeing um, a big shift in, in battery technology globally. You know, we've traditionally had uh, lithium-ion batteries which have had a lot of controversy because of the rare earth minerals in them. And we're now seeing the technology evolve and um, from the, to uh, lithium-ion phosphate, which like the, the likes of the Teslas and BYDs are using. So that's got no cobalt uh, or nickel in them. And, uh, you know, in the next couple of years, we'll also see a transition through to solid-state batteries, which are the, a lot lighter and they'll give us that longer range. Do they still require those rare earths? No, they don't. So that's right. a big game changer. So, okay. the, yeah. So we so the, we we're starting to see some ways through some of the biggest issues of getting 
as I said, like an exponential growth happening because 2% is still 2%. I know. Um, and there's, what, 4 million, I think, um, combustion engine vehicles. 4 million? Or yeah, 4.6. 4.6 million combustion yeah. in, in, uh, vehicles on the road right now. With with the second-hand market, and let's stay with the ones that are in the price range perhaps of you know, your middle-income earners, so let's come back to your 10-year-old and leaf. Do we need to and can we import second import second hand EVs quickly enough to both broaden availability and help bring down price or is that already kind of happening? Uh, it is happening, but we need to be aware that other countries are also starting to source those second-hand vehicles, you know, out of Japan and other locations like the UK. So that's why the clean car discount is super important, and we see that continued increase in those new vehicles coming in um, to create that second-hand market in New Zealand. That is, you know, essential for us. We Let, can't rely on imports. Let's look at some of the bigger infrastructure issues that pop up if the hopes and dreams of your organisation by 2030 or the Climate Commission by mid-2030s, which I think, oh goodness, it's, it's 50% of the vehicle fleet. Mm. I'm just trying to remember the light vehicle fleet by mid, mid-2030s is their goal. So that's a massive transition yeah. on where we are now. If that's to happen, what else has got to happen? Let's start with issues like charging networks and other issues around charging. We had people just before the last school holidays saying... We're heading off and we're worried we're going to be in huge queues because there's going to be this pinch point at this part of State Highway 1 um, where everyone stops to have lunch and fill and, and fill or refuel. Um, are we getting there with a network that people can have confidence in on longer term trips? Well, and are we getting there, actually, forgive me, are yeah. we getting there in towns and cities where people don't have a garage they can plug into? That's a that's a very good point too, Catherine. We're certainly because of the success of the clean car discount in you know in the last year, we're certainly seeing pressure on our public charging infrastructure. So, um, ECA are working really um, well with the charge point operators and the lines companies, and every major political party have. Um, committed investment into public charging infrastructure. So that is absolutely essential for growth to give comfort um, for EV uptake. The other aspect I think we need to also consider if um, is home and work charging. So certainly Drive Electric uh, is promoting to the political parties some changes in, in policies where, say, 20% of new um in commercial builds, new car parks have to provision for EV infrastructure. That makes so much sense because yeah. actually you're paying, just correct me if I'm wrong, if you are using a, a public charging area, um, you're paying not a hell of a lot less than you might pay per 100 kilometres for um, fuel, for petrol, right? Yeah. But at home, it's cheaper. On your on your power bill, it's much cheaper. Three times cheaper, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be vital, isn't it? Yeah. That, that, that in these urban areas, there are charging points that can be linked to your personal power bill inside the multi-block apartment or wherever you are. And and could that be required of developers? Is that what you're saying should become regulation? Yeah, yeah 100%. So okay. in, in the UK, it is um, regulation and new residential builds. Uh, there has to be a provision for charging infrastructure. And and just also, you know, for listeners to understand the numbers here, because the, the numbers are, you know, quite compelling. If you think a petrol car costs approximately $18 per 100 kilometres, a public charger costs 
roughly $15 per 100 kilometres. But if you're using a work or home charger, it's $5 yep. per 100 kilometres. Okay. Yeah. Next so it's a question, massive saving. And I, I think you may have some energy companies as part of your members. Are they yes. also warning you that if this uptake does go from 2% to 20%, 40% over the next couple of decades, there's going to have to be a big shift in how electricity supply is managed because we can't all plug in at once. We know that the infrastructure's got to be upgraded for the lines companies. We know yes. TransPower's doing it with the national grid. We know the lines companies and retailers have got to have got to up their game. Um, but will they also need line of sight and management of the electric fleet? And are any of the political parties, with their numbers and their ambitions, getting their heads around that? Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Smart charging is the key. Um, but just to give comfort to listeners that there is enough infrastructure projects in the pipeline to have us to 98% renewable by 2030, and we definitely have enough um, power, you know, electricity, to be able to electrify our fleet. The, the critical piece here, as you've highlighted, is smart charging. And we also need to appreciate, too, that... Our vehicles, we're just starting to see vehicle to load. So that means you could, you know, plug in your, your water pump out, out of the back of your car, literally. Um, but we're seeing that transition this decade to uh, vehicle to grid, which will allow that energy to flow from your EV into your house and vice versa. So that's going to be a real game changer. But certainly the investment into smart charging, we're encouraging our uh, Lions companies, which have a, um, a commercial opportunity there. And we are seeing, you know, energy companies like Z Energy, one of our members, um, ha- you know, have made an investment yeah. into smart charging as well. We may have to just change our thinking about the level of control we have over exactly when we do everything. Uh, and that, you know, that is a discussion for another time as well. Uh, but thank you very much for the update. Thank you. Kirsten Corson is Drive Electric's Deputy Chair.